The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south, the transcendent power of love touches earth in the humility of Christ. Here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe. Today, with happiness, we welcome In Coro Novo, our guest choir, and their director, Dr. Therese Provenzano. We invite your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your self-nomination and selection in forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This first Sunday in Lent is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. May we stand for our opening hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. pray together. Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations, and as you know the weaknesses of each of us, 
Let each one find you mighty to save. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, we enter the season of Lent in part in diaspora. Many of our staff, administrators, faculty, and students are on winter break these two Sundays. We hold them in prayer in their travels and enter now our time of confession with two sentences from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Complete truthfulness is only possible, he wrote, where sin has been uncovered and forgiven. Only those who are in a state of truthfulness through the confession of their sin are not ashamed to tell the truth wherever it must be told. As the Kyrie is sung, may we offer our silent prayers of confession. Each morning to cleanse and nourish and heal, we offer our thanks for the pardon and mercy and peace we receive from thy hand through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, sin was indeed in the world before the law 
but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If, because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Psalm 32 responsively with the antiphon.
Blessed are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed are those whom the Lord does not hold guilty, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I did not declare my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and then you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let those who are godly offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of great waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You encompass me with deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the ways you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like an unruly horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curved with bit and bridle. Many are the pains of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now please... Now please stand as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and 
On their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I'll give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. With these and similar sentences, Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke to his generation. His words still speak to us today. Just how does he speak to us today? It is this question which will occupy our hearts and minds in the shared project of Lenten preaching, Marsh Chapel, 2011. In four Sundays, we shall listen for the divine word in scripture, in history, and in life. First, as Bonhoeffer himself would advise, we shall carefully scour the gospel for each Sunday. Then, and second, we shall set that gospel next to his own life and work. Third, and finally, we shall apply our listening to our thinking and doing here at Marsh Chapel as we reach out from here to the world. Exegesis, exposition, application, an old sermonic design, rounded out with a preface like this one to begin and a poem to end. Why Bonhoeffer? His threefold representation of liberal thought, devotion to Christ, and investment in culture radically draws us to him given our commitments here at Marsh Chapel. That is, he sat at, te- at table and in seminar with Adolf von Harnack, arguably the most lasting historical and theological voice from liberal Protestantism. That is, Bonhoeffer's life and death, writing and teaching, poetry and prose exude a disciplined devotion to the Christ of God, perhaps unlike any other in our time. That is, his personal life, upbringing, family life, spiritual development, rode the high waves of the best of Western culture, literature, art, music, philosophy, science, history, and religion, though he much detested that last word. A liberal theology, sternly devoted to Christ, given to the world, here is his legacy for us. We could not begin at a better scriptural doorway than with the Mathean account of the temptation. As one has said, the accounts illustrate Jesus' habitual refusal to allow his sense of mission to be influenced by concern for his safety or by merely practical interests. Jesus fasts for 40 days in the wilderness, according to this legend Matthew and Luke share. The passages from Hebrew scripture remind us that the Messiahship of Jesus is set in the history of God's chosen people, Israel. The sort of disputation read today was quite common among the rabbis of old. The temptations Jesus faces have been perennial temptations for the community of faith and for the children of Israel. The devil and angels both appear here in good apocalyptic fashion and in a way similar to their roles in other texts of the time. Jesus here resists the charms of wealth, power, and fame. Rather, he says, quoting scripture, one does not live by bread alone. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Serve God only. We shall pass by the long consideration we might give these dominical sayings as they arise in a university setting, which is not at all foreign to interests in wealth, power, and fame. One would not easily or lightly choose Matthew 4 for the seal or crest of a college or school. Many parents would not be averse to seeing tuition investments bear fruit in some earthly, even worldly, wealth, power, and fame. 
They compete rather favorably in our time with learning, virtue, and piety, but we digress. Of this passage, great minds and hearts have spoken of old, so Rudolf Bultmann. Miracle as such never yields to criticism, but divine and demonic miracles are sufficiently alike in scripture to be mistaken for each other. So John Calvin, Christ wished to share our battles with us. So our own Roger Williams, having bought truth dear, we must not sell it cheap, not the least grain of it for the whole world. Beloved, in our tradition, we begin Lent with a long, hard climb up a high mountain, straight into the headwind of temptation. There is a cost to discipleship. There is discipline in discipleship. Which brings us straightway to Bonhoeffer. Some years ago, a friend remembered hiking up a hill to his dormitory. He was then a very young man. In the mist, walking down toward him, there came an elderly man walking slowly with the weight of years and age. They nodded to one another as they passed. At the top of the hill, my friend looked back down, expecting to see the older one on the path, but he had vanished. My friend had the deep sense, that strange, mysterious sense, that he had passed himself his soon-to-be-older self, his later soon-to-be-dying self, walking by. I thought of his vision, rereading this week, my own first reading of Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship almost four decades ago. An early reading of the Cost of Discipleship long ago caused the following notations And I call on us, both the congregation present and the congregation from afar, to listen with care to these choice and chosen sentences from Bonhoeffer's most famous work. We shall introduce him this Sunday by his words alone, and next Sunday through the voice of his biography, his life. I want us to know his voice. Bonhoeffer reminds us of the call of Christ. If they follow Jesus, men escape from the hard yoke of their own laws and submit to the kindly yoke of Christ. We hear the words of one who is on his way to the cross, whose whole life is summed up in the Apostles' Creed by the word, suffered. No man can choose such a life for himself. His word is the recreation of the whole of humanity. The road to faith passes through obedience to the call of Jesus. If we are to believe, we must obey a concrete command. Without this preliminary step of obedience, our faith will only be pious humbug and lead us to the grace which is not costly. Everything depends upon the first step It has a unique quality of its own. Only he who obeys can believe, and you can only learn what obedience is by obeying. Bonhoeffer places us before the cross of Christ. 
The cross means sharing the suffering of Christ to the last and to the fullest. For God is a God who bears. The Son of God bore our flesh, he bore the cross, he bore our sins, thus making atonement for us. Discipleship is not limited to what you can comprehend. These Christians, when reproached, they hold their peace. When treated with violence, they endure it patiently. When men drive them from their presence, they yield their ground. His disciples keep the peace by choosing to endure suffering themselves rather than inflict it on others. Not recognition, but rejection is the reward they get from the world for their message and works. The Incarnation is the ultimate reason why the service of God cannot be divorced from the service of human beings. The cross is God's truth about us, and therefore it is the only power which can make us truthful. The Christian affirms his adherence to Jesus and his freedom from the tyranny of his own ego. The precept of nonviolence applies equally to private life and to official duty. Love is defined in uncompromising terms as the love of our enemies. The only way to overcome our enemy is by loving him as God loves God's enemies. If there is no element of asceticism in our lives, if we give free rein to the desires of the flesh, we shall find it hard to train for the service of Christ. When all is said and done, the life of faith is nothing if not an unending struggle. Earthly goods are to be used not to be collected. The disciples of Christ are to love unconditionally. Christian love sees the fellow man under the cross and therefore sees him clearly. The disciples are few in number and will always be few. Never let a disciple of Christ pin his hopes on large numbers. And Bonhoeffer shows us the narrow way. To be called to a life of extraordinary quality, to live up to it, and yet to be unconscious of it, is indeed a narrow way. To confess and testify to the truth as it is in Jesus, and at the same time to love the enemies of that truth, his enemies and ours, and to love them with the infinite love of Christ is indeed a narrow way. To believe the promise of Jesus that his followers shall possess the earth and at the same time to face our enemies unarmed and defenseless, preferring to incur injustice rather than to do wrong ourselves is indeed a narrow way. To see the weakness and wrong in others and at the same time refrain from judging them. To deliver the gospel message without casting pearls before swine is indeed a narrow way. The way is unutterably 
hard. And at every moment, we are in danger of straying from it. Christ took upon himself this human form of ours. He became a man even as we are men. In his humanity and his lowliness, we recognize our own form. He has become like a man so that men should be like him. And in the incarnation, the whole human race recovers the dignity of the image of God. I learned midway through the first semester at Union Theological Seminary that my roommate and I were sharing the room once inhabited by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Carlisle Marney famously asked his generation, who told you who you was? Bonhoeffer's words continue to shape many of us, telling us again, as they did in this annotated first reading 35 years ago, who we are meant to be. During Lent 2011, we shall endeavor to listen and learn from his example and his writing. A third voice enters our sermon here, following that of Matthew and that of Bonhoeffer. His is the voice of the Dean of Marsh Chapel just for one year in the early 50s, Dr. Franklin H. Littell, about whom a full sermon was preached here in October of 2009. I shall not repeat his substantial biography, except to remind you that Littell was, among other things, the father of formal Holocaust studies in this country through his work here in Boston, through his work in Chicago, and through his work at Temple University and elsewhere. As we, this Lent, listen for the gospel in the study of scripture and in the life and words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we shall rely on Littell to guide us a bit in our application of such exegesis and exposition. Littell's biting statements in a book that is required reading, The Crucifixion of the Jews, The Failure of Christians to Understand the Jewish Experience, 1975. His states, statements give us plenty of caution as we seek to apply all of this to our current common life. In sum, Littell reminds us that there were very few Bonhoeffers and that we Christians would do well not to hide behind their very few skirts, he wrote. The German church struggle 1933 to 1945, has yet scarcely entered into the thought of the church. Perhaps this is just as well for the moment, for misuse and misinterpretation of that encounter would be worse than neglect. 
when the martyrs and confessors of the church struggle, struggle are held up to honor without considering at the same time the failure of the churches in the matter of the Holocaust, a spirit of boasting can easily drown out any mood of repentance which might turn us around. As Arthur Cochrane pointed out, Littell continues, in his classic on the Barman Synod and the Confession of Faith, the church struggle was the struggle of the church, against the church, for the church. This point cannot be made too often, for the cheap and easy view of the church struggle is that it was like the persecutions of old in which martyrs and confessors stood to, geth, stood to death against heathenism. And now the purveyors of cheap grace are beginning to use the faithfulness of a very few Christians like Dietrich Bonhoeffer to boast of the church's record of courage in the face of the spiritual enemy. The truth is, that the church struggle was fought out within the institutions themselves, not between insiders and outsiders, that most church constituents apostatized, and only a small percentage remained faithful, and that most of the theological and ecclesiastical crises which surfaced during that time of trial are yet unresolved. To remember the church struggle of an earlier day is painful. The record of most theologians and churchmen in England and America, as well as in the Third Reich, was confused and weak where not outright wicked. Few indeed were the martyrs and confessors and their, merit, and their meritorious conduct does not save the rest of us from the need for self-appraisal and repentance and correcting of our false teaching and wrongdoing. So Littell wrote. So Littell preached. We shall continue along the narrow Lenten path these four weeks, we shall scour the scripture of the day to hear and overhear the gospel. This year we shall set that gospel alongside the words and life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We shall endeavor to apply the gospel and his life to the gospel in our own. To conclude, a friend has offered me the reminder of this fine poem about Bonhoeffer from our own former colleague, Joffrey Hill, titled Christmas Tree. Bonhoeffer in his skylit cell, bleached by the flare's candescent fall, pacing out his own citadel, restores the broken themes of praise, encourages our borrowed days by logic of his sacrifice. Against the wild reasons of the state. His words are quiet, 
but not too quiet. We hear too late or not too late. Amen. As we enter into this time of prayer, please feel free to pray according to your tradition. Pray at the communion rail, stand where you are, stay seated, or whatever else your tradition might suggest. Now, please join me in singing, Lead Me, Lord. of Bonhoeffer. It is infinitely easier to suffer in obedience to a human command than in the freedom of one's own responsibility. It is infinitely easier to suffer with others than to suffer alone. It is infinitely easier to suffer publicly and honorably than apart and ignominiously. It is infinitely easier to suffer through staking one's life than to suffer spiritually. Christ suffered as a free man alone, apart and in ignominy, in body and spirit, and since then many Christians have suffered with him. In recent years, we have become increasingly familiar with the thought of death. We surprise ourselves by the calmness with which we hear of the death of one of our contemporaries. We cannot hate it as we used to, for we have discovered some good in it and have almost come to terms with it. Fundamentally, we feel that we really belong to death already and that every new day is a miracle. It would probably not be true to say that we welcome death, although we all know that weariness, which we ought to avoid like the plague. We are too inquisitive for that, or to put it more seriously, we should like to see something more of the meaning of our life's broken fragments. Nor do we try to romanticize death, for life is too great and too precious. Still less do we suppose that danger is the meaning of life. We are not desperate enough for that, and we know too much about the good things that life has to offer. Though, on the other hand, we are only too familiar with life's anxieties and, which, and with all the other destructive effects of prolonged personal insecurity. We still love life, but I do not think that death can surprise us now. After what we have been through during the war, we hardly dare to admit that we should like death to come to us 
not accidentally and suddenly through some trivial case, but in the fullness of life and with everything at stake. It is we ourselves and not outward circumstances who make death what it can be, a death freely and voluntarily accepted. And now, brothers and sisters, let us join together in the words Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We pause to welcome our guests and visitors. You may be here for the first time among us. If so, please help us to get to know you by joining the congregation in the use of the red pad that will come to you from the center aisle. We draw your attention to the notices printed in the bulletin and for those listening from afar on the radio or internet, we draw your attention to the website for forms of service and mission and opportunities for giving. We invite your generosity, your practice of tithing in this hour as today and in this moment we receive the morning offering. The ushers will now wait upon you.
Gracious and all-encompassing God, we give you thanks for these gifts as a measure of obedience to the cost of time and money to your discipleship. And also may we, with our time and money, be obedient to you in this Lenten season to spend time with our hearts, our souls, and our minds to meditate and enact what you ask for us to do, that we may fully come into your love and your peace. In the name of Christ, amen. gracious powers so wonderfully sheltered, confidently waiting, come what may. We know that God is with us night and morning, never fails to greet us as we pray. Amen. 